like to encourage everybody that we're making great headway on the parsonage, and we've God has brought us some help at exactly the right time, um, and we've gotten a lot done. However, um, how many of you have ever run a race, like a race, and you're trying to run a time? Okay. Now, um, if you were to look at your time splits, my guess is your last mile was probably about the same pace or maybe even a little slower as your previous how many ever miles. But for how many of you that last mile felt the same <laughs> or even easier? No, so even though you're still running the same speed, it feels harder because you're tired and you're, you're starting, your body's wanting to say, slow down, okay? Well, we've got, we've got one final push left, okay? We've got one final month or so, and uh, we've been at it. We're doing a great job, but if we could gather our strength for a final push, okay? Now, I know that everybody's sitting there saying to themselves, yeah, but I got this and that and this thing piled up, and, and there's that too, and I, I, I totally understand that. Um, we really want, for the rest of the year, to keep the calendar as clean as possible so that people can rest. We, we want to take it a little easy um, after we get this finished. So there will be a time to rest, but if you could gather your strength for a final push so that we can get this over the finish line, that would be great. Um, the things that we still need to do, uh, we're going to announce it in the, the morning service, but one big need that we have is cleaning. Now, I know cleaning isn't glamorous, but it has to be done. And so Elaine is gathering a cleaning party for Saturday the 11th, no, the 18th, Saturday the 18th. So that's two Saturdays from now. And if you're uh, a person who said, you know, I haven't swung any hammers yet, um, I've watched kids while my husband has done work, I've done this or that or the other, or um, it's not gender specific. You can, anybody can come clean. And I'm, I'm thinking no training required. No, no. So, so now's your, this is your moment, okay? We need that to happen. Um, we need, we're going to need all sorts of help just finishing everything off, Okay. And so the, the, the last few details are always going to be kind of the, the hardest. They're going to feel the hardest. But let's gather our strength, get over the finish line. Um, we're going to rejoice, and then we'll, we'll take it a little easy, okay? And, uh, and so, yeah, and then we can, we can just enjoy um, what the Lord has done and the role we've got to play. We've, we've gotten to play. But let's, let's really kind of gather our strength for one final push and tell ourselves that that's what we're going to do, okay? All right? We're having a business meeting later today, so I, you know, any, are there any objections? <laughs> same sign. Um, same sign, say aye, whatever, you know. So we'll, we'll get in that mode here in a minute. Okay, let's turn in our Bibles to Isaiah 48. Did I already say that? I may not have. Isaiah 48. Also, I would appreciate your prayer uh, next week. I'm going to be down. Um, there's a, we're having, this year for the Seagull Lily Foundation, we're doing four regional uh, seminars, uh, one in St. George, one in the Provo area, one in the Salt Lake area, and then one 
um, up here, and so there'll be one about every quarter. And this one is going to fall, our first, our first seminar is on Saturday, um, down in St. George, February 11th, and it's going to be held at Westside Baptist Church. They've been a real supporter of the foundation through the years. Um, just terrific, terrific support there. Um, and there's going to be, I, th- I think we've been in touch with uh, six or eight different churches down there, good churches. And um, I got word uh, today that our registrations are coming along. We're very happy with, uh, we're, we're at our goal right now. Um, with, we were hoping for 50 to 75 people, um, adults, and we're at our goal. And what I'm really hoping is that, uh, that you know, Utahns, if you tell them, you've got till Sunday the 5th to register, do you know what day they're going to wait till? Monday the 6th, you know? <laughs> so I'm hoping, you know, we're, and we're already at our registration goals. And I found out that one pastor, bless his heart, has been keeping his own private registration sheet and, so, and not telling me. Um, <laughs> so um, I talked to him yesterday and I was like, great, can you forward that on to me so I know how much food to buy? He's like, oh yeah, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Um, so, but, um, um, so please be in prayer for that, and, uh, and then the host church, um, they asked if I'd, if I'd stick around for an extra day and, uh, preach, uh, to their people. Uh, they have both a Sunday morning and a Sunday evening service, and so I'm going to be preaching both in their morning and evening services, and, um, please pray for that, and, uh, my wife's energy as she'll be watching, you know, holding down the fort here. And, uh, and so, uh, please pray for her as well. Okay, Isaiah 48. Let's go ahead and read this passage. Uh, we're going to read it start to finish. And before we get there, I want you to pick, before we read it, I want you to picture something with me, okay? I want you to picture a 17-year-old young lady. She's sitting on a couch, slouched down. Her knees are sort of pigeon-toed together, and she's got her arms folded and she's staring coldly off into the distance, not listening to anything anybody is saying to her. Can you picture that in your mind? Or how about a 21-year-old young man, and he's dressed in an ostentatious kind of way. He's dressed in such a way that you realize a picture of him is going to be circulated in 20 years for, can you believe that's how people of this generation used to dress? He's cocky. He is laughing at everything you say. He doesn't take anything seriously. And there's a very strong sense that he thinks that he knows better. Yet, you're trying to communicate something to him that he's quickly dismissing. Well, that as well as a rebellious child, isn't it? It's manifesting a little bit differently, but he's not listening. She's not listening. These are rebellious children. How does the Lord talk to rebellious children? What would the Lord say to her? What would the Lord say to him? What would the Lord say to those people should they continue on their path for another 20 years and their rebellion would look altogether different and more ugly? 
How does the Lord talk to those people? Well, the Lord's going to address some rebellious children in Isaiah 48. Let's read and see how he does that. He says, Hear, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and who come from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. Okay, these are people that have a, they would say, I believe in God, I, I believe in God's truth, but their actions deny him, and their actions say otherwise. They don't actually follow him. They're rebelling against him. For they call themselves after the holy city and stay themselves uh, on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. The former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them and they came to pass. Because I know that you are obstinate and your neck is an iron sinew and your forehead brass. The, the, the phrase, and your neck is an iron sinew, it's, it's an, a rod of iron. Your neck is a rod of iron, and your, your forehead is as hard and stubborn as brass. I declared them to you of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you. Lest you should say, my idol did them, my carved image and my metal image commanded them. You have heard, now see all this, and will you not declare it? From this time forth, I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. They are created now, not long ago. Before today, you've never heard of them. You have never heard, and I'm sorry, lest you should say, behold, I knew them. You have never heard, you have never known. From of old, your ear has not been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously, and that from before your birth, you would be called, you were called a rebel. You see this? Do you see what God is doing? He's talking to them. He's talking to a rebellious people, people who aren't listening, people who... When you tell them truth, they would say, I've known that all along. These are people that you can't say anything to. They're stubborn. They don't listen. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. God is angry at this rebel. He's not going to coddle them. He's not going to affirm them. He's telling them right here, I'm, I'm angry with you, but... I'm going to defer it. He says, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel, whom I called. I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. My hand laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens when I call to them. They stand forth together. Assemble all of you and listen. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall, pre he shall perform his purpose on Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken and called him. I have brought him, and he will prosper in his way. Draw near to me and hear this. From the beginning I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. 
Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand and your descendants like its grains. Their name would have never been cut off or destroyed from before me. Go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea, declare this with a shout of joy, proclaim it, send it out to the ends of the earth, say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow from the rock. He split the rock and water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Let's answer the question, how does God confront a rebellious child? How does God talk to rebellious people? Well, I have five points here, and I'm going to work through them relatively quickly. And I want you to see from this passage how God deals with a rebel. Okay? How does God deal with a rebel? Number one, God commands that this rebel listen. He commands that the, re- that the rebel listens. I want you, you may have seen it several times, but in, in, it's one of the wonderful things about the English language is we have a wide variety of words. It's a very precise language. Hebrew is a little bit different in that it has fewer words that are used many different ways. And so when the same word is used over and over again, it jumps off the page. And in chapter 48, the word here is used 16 times. Now, it comes across in our English translations as pay attention or listen or hear. And that variation throws us off the scent of just how often God is telling us or telling this rebel to listen, to hear. It's the same word repeated over and again. In fact, it begins the chapter. Hear this, O house of Jacob. Go down to verse 12. Listen to me, O Jacob. And like I said, 16 times this word is used. I want you to notice all the times that God highlights his communication. Look at verse 3. He says, The former things I declared. I declared them of old. Verse 5. I declared them to you from of old. Go down to verse 15. I, even I, have spoken and called him. I have brought him and he will prosper in his way. The first thing the Lord wants to tell a rebel is to open your ears and listen. One of the great troubles of our culture is we're too busy talking. We're, we can't hear. It's, it's this fundamental thing when your mouth is open, your ears are shut. I have a pastor friend, and he always says it like this. God gave us two eyes and two ears and one mouth. Let us use them in proportion. God Tells the rebel first, listen. Listen. And in fact, God isn't going to shout over a rebel. God is going to wait until they start to listen. And that is the first step. Rebels will listen to all sorts of things except for God. They'll listen to themselves. They'll listen 
to their own victim talk. They'll listen to their own sorry excuses. They'll listen to whoever's popular. popular. They'll listen to people that they think can give them some advantage. They'll listen to people who will affirm them. And they will often listen to everybody but God. And God says, first and foremost, listen to me. Open your ears and listen to me. That's the beginning. Number two, he reminds them of their heritage and their privileges. Once they start listening, one of the first things he wants them to know is how privileged they've been to have heard from him. He says in verses 1 through 3, I want you to notice how he sort of piles up these descriptions of his people. House of Jacob, name of Israel, people who sprang from the waters of Judah, people who confessed the God of Israel. Uh, God says, I declared these things from a former time. You are part of the holy city. Okay? God is saying, you've been brought up in this religious heritage and you need not despise that. In fact, you ought to rejoice in that. God has given you immense privileges and, and opportunities. Think. Think of all the people the world over who speak to idols, who, who bow to idols that don't talk back. They cry out to gods to give them some information, and those idols are mute. They are in religious systems where the gods are capricious and do as they please. They don't. The gods are concerned about their own welfare and not the welfare of the people. The gods that these people serve are here to be served, where Jesus says, I am a Savior who serves. And God wants to snap these people up from their rebellion by reminding them, reminding them of the immense privileges and blessings that they have. This has been several years ago now, and this couple, I, I don't know if they're still together or not. They live in a different state. My wife and I were asked to intervene in a marriage. This couple had been married just a short amount of time, and um, this couple was having problems. The young lady had been adopted from a poverty-stricken country, and she was so angry she was so angry at everything. One of the things she was angry at was that her Christian adoptive parents adopted her. She was taken out of an orphanage where she probably wouldn't have survived and was brought into a Christian home where she was taught the things of God. And she had not one whiff of appreciation for that. And I'll never forget when I said, can't you at least appreciate the good that your mom and dad have brought you? And she exploded on me. That's what everybody says I should feel. No. That's what God says you should feel. That's what God says you should feel. I wasn't talking about American materialism or 
financial benefits that would be showered upon her as compared to other orphans that were not taken out of that situation. I was talking about the access that she had to eternal life. Well, God is talking to this rebellious nation this way. We, I want you to consider the privilege of your heritage and what a blessing that is to you. Number three, we need to notice that God asserts his exclusive position as God. God asserts his exclusive position as God. Notice the emphatic eyes. Look at verse three. The former things I declared of old. He says it emphatically. I myself have declared of old. I announced them. I did them. I know that you're obstinate. God is emphatically putting himself out there. He says in verse 15, I, even I, have spoken and called him. I have brought him, and he will prosper in his ways. God reminds these people of uh, his name, verse 12. He says, uh, go down to verse 12 and look at me. Look here. He says, listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel, whom I called. I am he, Yahweh. I am he. I am, and that's his name again. I am the first, and I am the last. There is none other besides me. I'm all you got. And you can turn to all these different things for happiness or peace or joy or whatever you want to try to find, but you won't find it there because I am he. And this evokes in the ears of an Israelite person the jealousy that God has. I am only, and I am a jealous God. I, I don't take kindly to people worshiping other things. When we hear the word jealous, that evokes negativity sometimes in our hearts, but we know, we know that there's times when jealousy is a good thing. We would expect a wife to guard her husband jealously. I'm your wife. I, will, I alone will be your wife. My kids ask me, Dad, they've all asked me this, Dad, would you rather we call you pastor? <laughs> I said, well, guys, a lot of people can call me pastor if they want to, but there's only a few people that get to call me dad. I, I jealously guard that title with them. I'm your dad. God is trying to evoke his unique position and he guards it with care. He proclaims in verse 13 his creative ownership. Now, this is not the, this is not the, the frustrated mom at her teenager who says, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of this world. Um, it's not a blind threat like that um, because we all know our moms don't really mean it when they say that. But God is saying, my, my hand laid the foundation of the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth together. What he's asserting is his place of absolute sovereignty and ownership and rulership. He's going to tell them in a minute, and it will be one of our other points, that he's permissive to this rebellion for the sake of his reputation as a merciful and gracious God. Yet, as creator and owner and redeemer of all things, 
he has the right to call that rebel his own. He's the only one who's holding the cards. He possesses it all. This is a stern reminder to any rebel that God is in charge. He is in command. And any any rebellious heart, any stiff-necked response is a mirage. It's an illusion. For God reigns and he is sovereign. And David said this in the Psalms, where can I go from your spirit? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I go down to the deepest abyss, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, there your hand guides me. I can't. You can't escape from God. You can run as long as you would like to try to run, but ultimately you will stand before God. Ultimately, you will meet your maker. Another thing that God does as he asserts his exclusive position is that he ridicules insufficient alternatives. In verse 4, he ridicules hardness of heart and rebellion. In verse 14, he ridicules false idols. They, They don't last. So let's just review very quickly. Number one, how does God confront a rebellious child? Well, he He commands that they start listening to him, that they stop speaking or listening to other things. Number two, he asserts his exclusive position as God. And number three, he lovingly confronts stubbornness. He lovingly confronts hard-heartedness. Look at verse four. I told you this before. He says, I know that you're obstinate And your neck is an iron rod. Your neck is an iron sinew. And your forehead brass. One commentator I read said that, he said in his experience with animals, if if you tell an animal to go to the right, he'll go to the left just because you told it to go to the right. (laughs) That's sort of the idea here. The, 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 The imagery of an a neck of iron is borrowed from animal husbandry. And this refers to an unbroken mule or um, an unbroken ox. You can't get it to go where you want to. And oftentimes the methods that are used to break an animal border on cruel. But the animal's will has to be broken if he's to serve. And God is confronting this attitude, but he's doing so lovingly. He says, your forehead is bronze. The idea here is, um, I, I, I actually, I don't remember where I was. I got to see this in person one time. Uh, two ibex um, ramming each other. And when they crash their heads into each other, it makes a sound. And that's the idea, this crashing it sounds like crashing metal to metal. It's a crash. And their foreheads are like bronze, they would say. Okay. God is confronting that sort of stubbornness, but he's doing so really lovingly. And that brings us to our next point. I'll show you how lovingly he's going to confront this stubbornness. He reassures the rebel of his mercy. As he confronts the stubbornness, as he 
asserts his exclusive position and commands that the rebel begin to listen. He reassures the rebel of his mercy. He says in verse 9, look at verse 9 with me. This is kind of the linchpin of the entire passage, by the way. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. He's telling them your sins have merited cutting off terrible consequences, even death. And I have refrained it for your sake. And he evokes the language of two different passages. If you like to write in your Bible, I would suggest that you write down Exodus 34. Do you remember what happened in Exodus 34? The people made a bronze or made a gold calf and had a party in front of it that they said was the Lord. And it was a it was a debauched party. And God tells Moses, stand back. I'm going to destroy them. God is angry. And I'm going to take you, Moses, and fulfill my promises through you. Moses says, oh Lord, don't do that. All the nations around, they know you're just. They saw what you did to Egypt. And they would not fault you for judging this people, but you're a God of mercy. You're a God of grace. And your reputation would suffer among the nations should you wipe this people out. And God listened to Moses and pardoned them for his sake, for the sake of his reputation. God says the same thing in Ezekiel 36. I will redeem you for the sake of my reputation among the nations. I will be regarded as merciful and kind. So you know, whenever that all... I, I don't always do this perfectly. I don't always do this perfectly. I want my dealings with people, and especially in the occasions where I'm put in a position to work with a young person, I want mercy to reign. And I want mercy to be the thing that people remember about God as they deal with God's people. He says in verse 10 that he will use trials as a refinement and not as an obliteration. Imagine, remember the little opening scene I mentioned, this young lady sitting on the couch with her arms crossed, staring off into the abyss, hard-hearted. Her life isn't great at that moment. <laughs> And God says right here in the last verse of our psalm, 
there is no peace for the wicked. <laughs> She's doesn't feeling peace right now. And she's already starting to feel some of the consequences of her rebellion. She's not happy. She's not at peace. She's not at rest. She's not enjoying the things that God has given her to enjoy. And God says that's a, that that is actually a mercy. He says, I've, I'm using the consequences of your sin to refine you. Verse 10, behold, I've refined you. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction. It won't be ultimate. He says, I, he says, I don't want to cut you off. I, I haven't refined you as silver. And I think what he means there is, I haven't put you under this furnace of unrelenting heat. Okay? I'm, I'm using these other things to lop off unpleasant dross out of your character and if you would just take a step back and see that this rebellion isn't getting you anywhere it's not getting you what you want you're not happy you would start to see that God is merciful and kind and that he ultimately wants to deliver you verses 14 and 15 he says he should he says that he will take his people out of Babylon he says, draw near to me and hear this. From the beginning, I've not spoken in secret. And from the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord has sent me and his spirit. He says, thus says the Lord, your redeemer. He teaches you to profit. God is going to go on and put out for them the things that would be theirs to enjoy should they turn to him how many of you recognize that phrase that phrase you would have peace like a river we have that song you know that song well maybe some of you don't you can open up your hymnal and look it's peace well, how does it go when peace like a river attendeth my way it is well with my soul yes yes that's the song you need to look up well God is saying, you will have peace. You, you will prosper the thing that you're listening to, whether it be yourself or somebody else. The rebellion that you're enjoying, is it's not getting you what you want. I'm letting you continue down that road so you'll see the fruits of it. But I want you to listen and heed. And when you turn, I will redeem and peace and joy will flood into your soul. He's not hitting him with a hammer. He's trying to draw them with, a tr with promises of attractive mercy. However, it does require a turn. And that's the hard part, isn't it? That's the hard part. That's the hard part. How often, how often when our lives are in trouble, we come to God and God lays out for us what needs to change. And we're willing to do just about everything except that one. 
right? And God puts his finger on that and says, I want that one too. Turn to me and you will have peace like a river. Okay? All right. This is how God talks to rebellious children. And sometimes we are those children. And so may we hear what God said to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Isaiah 48. I pray that you would blow us away in passages like these with your kind, merciful character. Um, Drive from us rebellious hearts that are angry for whatever reason. And may we begin our journey by listening. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.